Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, UFC 286 was was perhaps not the most eye-catching pay-per-view, perhaps for casuals and maybe mainstream fans with Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman fighting for a third time as a headliner and, you know, the somewhat early start time here in the States to accommodate this one going down over in London. But it actually delivered two very compelling fights at the top of the card, both with Justin Gaethje and Leon Edwards winning action-packed majority decisions. You don't see a lot of back-to-back majority decisions in high-profile situations. Did this one live up to whatever small amount of hype may actually have been built up in your mind. Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit of a low wattage main event for a pay-per-view. And i got to say, as impressed as I am with Leon Edwards, he's not that guy who uh, is just blowing people's hair back in terms of an electrifying personality that they just have, absolutely have to follow his every move. He's not, right. he's not ever going to be that guy. That said, though, I was impressed with his just the straight up performance that he gave. He did get a little Dundasoe in there. Yeah, I know, he did. I we'll know that had to catch that. your eye. We'll talk about that coming up in the show. We got a lot of emails, a lot of attention, as always, paid to uh, the strategery, let's mm-hmm. say, of Leon Edwards's win over Kamaro Usman. This one, uh, you know, I guess to the UFC's credit, from what I could tell, they advertised this thing wall to wall over on ESPN Plus last week. Those of us who take in the NHL saw numerous UFC 286 commercials during breaks on ESPN Plus. And for all the grief that we give the UFC, you know who always does a great job is the digital editing team and the digital marketing team over there at the UFC because the video promos and the commercials, at least, are usually on point. And I can see how if you were, you know, just some rube stumbling down the street trying to watch the Montreal Canadiens or something like that, you could get suckered in by that. But I guess we'll never know what kind of audience UFC 286 garnered. But if you didn't watch it, 
you missed a couple of pretty great fights there at the top of the card. Yeah, and this one had some challenges, I'm sure, in terms of finding a foothold with viewership, right? Because yeah. for one thing, you're on at a different time because you're over there in London. You're also up against March Madness here in the U.S., and you don't have exactly the highest caliber of stars to help you sell this thing. Plus, as you pointed out before, you are in the middle of this period where you had three pay-per-views really pretty close together. And yeah. so the the pay-per-view budget for, for most people who are fans of mixed martial arts is not endless. You know, there, uh, sometimes a, a discerning viewer might have to make some choices. Yeah, and if you this is probably the one that's going to end up day. on the chopping block, you know? If you weren't tucking your pennies away in your piggy bank, especially for UFC 286, it probably would have been tempting to, you know, see if you could scrounge up an alternative means mm-hmm. to perhaps, I don't know, listen to this one on the ticker tape or whatever you have to do if you're not going to actually buy the pay-per-view. So who knows how many people partook of that. Uh, remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you're listening to us right now, we need you to do two things. First, subscribe to the show, no matter if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other platforms. Just go in there right now and click the subscribe button. You won't regret it. That way the podcast just shows up in your feed every week and you don't forget to listen to it. Second, if you already subscribe, just go ahead, leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to. That stuff helps us defeat the insidious algorithms that would keep us barred from the door and would have the people only listening to the fettered discourse of the corporate fat cats. And nobody wants that. If you really want to support the show, sign up to follow us over on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are over there pretty much all week, churning out the additional MMA content. We run the Wednesday live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We've got Thursday's Doing the Damn Thing podcast when we take a break from fighting and talk about pop culture. And then, of course, Friday's Power Hour, which is a full extra hour of curated MMA talk to get you hyped for the weekend. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. Sign up to join the team over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Again, that is patreon.com slash co-main event. We got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez. He's a producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeats7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beat Z. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. Round number one, more than just a transitional champion. Leon Edwards turns away Kamaru Usman in a title fight. He gets to keep the belt and perhaps more importantly secure some kind of legacy at 170 pounds. And in round number two, show of hands. How many of you were surprised that Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fazeev won fight of the night? Nobody? Nobody? Yeah, we weren't either. In round number three, Cheeto Vera and Corey Sandhagen. Well, okay. That sounds like something we might be interested in. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. We've been preaching the virtues of NordVPN to you guys for a long time. Ben and I both have it installed on all our devices. It's hassle-free and it works great. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay home virtually. Stay safe from malware. Malware. 
Stay safe from malware, Ben. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben, I know you love some NordVPN. What's your favorite thing about using it? Well, you know, what I love is the way it clicks on to protect me when I'm bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter where I am, Chad. Doesn't matter if I'm down at the bank to panic withdraw all my money. Doesn't matter if I'm over at my accountant's office explaining why I decided to then put all that money into cryptocurrencies that are entirely fake. Doesn't matter if I'm then, uh, you know, down at the gentleman's club uh, trying to audition for a job on amateur night, NordVPN has me covered, Chad. Uh, you can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the Nord Pass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the Nord Locker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. You know what I hate? Snoopers. Yep. Gotta, you gotta stay protected from snoopers Damn at snoopers. all times. And by the way, do you want to get four free months instead of the usual three? Well, right now, if you sign up from the exclusive link just for CME listeners, you can. Every purchase of a two-year plan will receive plus four bonus months. On top of that, if you use nordvpn.com slash co-main, or just use the code co-main when you sign up. Of course, that's all one word. This includes all plans, the plans we always tell you about, the standard plan, the plus plan, and the whole enchilada, the complete plan. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com or use the code co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy, Oscar Eagle, who writes, Coming from Iceland, it's hard to be objective, but I was impressed by my man Gunnar Nelson this weekend. He seemed focused and in shape, and I was just wondering what's possible for Gunny at the age of 34. Could he have a title run in him? And if so, what would be the path forward? He had close fights with Burns and Edwards, but I guess I'm asking, is it too late for Gunny? Now, Ben, Gunnar Nelson, who we haven't seen in a while, goes out there and secures the casual-ass armbar on Brian Barbarina, four minutes and 51 seconds into the first round of their welterweight fight. Now, if you went and you looked at the odds for this thing, headed into it, Gunnar Nelson was the favorite, and if you went prop bet on this bad boy, the leading prop bet was also Gunnar Nelson by submission. That would get you the lowest odds out of any of these outcomes. So it's not that this was unexpected, but I'll tell you what, I was impressed with the, just with the ease, just with the, hey, I'm out for a Sunday drive with the family. And while I'm at it, I'm going to get an arm bar on Brian Barbarina kind of attitude that Gunnar Nelson finished this thing off with. Yeah, because... You're right. It's not that a Gunnar Nelson win would be surprising. It's not even that a Gunnar Nelson win via submission would be surprising. But to be off for a year, come back in against you know a tough dude and an experienced dude at this point in Brian Barberina, and submit him in the first round and look like it was not exactly a super difficult feat for you to do that, it, that does remind you that he's still he's still a player in this. I guess my question would be is how active can he be or does he want to be or is he able to be at this point because if you're looking around and going like what are his chances to make a run that's gonna have to be a big part of it because it's you know the division is a little more open now that we've we're feeling like okay we know 
Leon Edwards feels more established as champion now. The Kamaru Usman era feels like it is over, at least for the time being. And so that tends to open some some pathways up for some different people. But there are also an awful lot of names that stay in the news just more often than Gunnar Nelson because it feels like he fights and then we totally forget about him. He just vanishes into thin air and then shows back up and we go, oh yeah, I remember Gunny. Remember liking Gunny, but yeah. how do you stay more in the conversation is the question. Yeah, and if you're thinking about Gunnar Nelson making a run at the title shot, let me just tell you right now, he is currently not ranked in the UFC top 15 at welterweight. And let me just lay some names on you. Okay. Michelle Pereira, Jack Della Maddalena, Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal, Vicente Luque, Sean Brady, Jeff Neal, The Wonder Man, Shavkat Rachmanov, Gilbert Burns, Bilal Muhammad, Kamzat Chemaev, Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman. That's 15 names that I just ran down and every one of them for the most part a known going concern in the ufc that is also a tough out and so at 34 years old you don't want to call Gunnar nelson old i don't think the guy's old i don't think he's past his prime by any stretch of the imagination and he's got that submission style that tends to age fairly well but at the same time boy it, he would have to do some impressive stuff if he's going to start working his way through that list uh, and so he would have to go on a, an extended run. And perhaps, as you said, the chief thing keeping him from doing that might be just his ability or his willingness to show up every few months. And it seems like he would have to show up every few months to get his fight on if he wants to move up that top 15 list. Yeah. You know, the other thing about Gunnar Nelson, the stash. Mm-hmm. Did you check out the stash? I was trying to decide what kind of mustache Gunnar Nelson has. Because I don't know that it's the full-on cop mustache. But I would say it's maybe a firefighter mustache. Like you can see him coming through your bedroom window to save you in the middle of a blaze. That's the kind of mustache Gunnar Nelson's got going on right now. You feel like it, it has major first responder vibes of some kind. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a first responder mustache. Let's just say that as sort of a a blanket coverage statement. It's it's the mustache of some manner of authority figure. Yeah. No, I yeah, I would be willing to listen to his commands during in the midst of an emergency. Yeah. Let's say that. Next question this week comes to us from our guy Bob Bob Blacksheep who writes UFC really chose Michael Bisping instead of John Gooden this past weekend at UFC 286. And the outcome went just as expected in addition to the Malcolm X and sex comments, which, Hey man, if you didn't pay close attention at UFC 286, you might not even know what those are. But I, we'll I don't know what those you. are. Justin Gaethje also called him unprofessional for a different reason. Will the UFC begin to move him free, move him from broadcasts Now, Michael Bisping, who normally is a commentator that I enjoy, I kind of like his off-the-cuff style. I feel like he pairs well with Daniel Cormier, both in the fact that they kind of bicker back and forth sometimes, but also they kind of seem to be chummy. They kind of have a good time, and I sort of enjoy what they've got going on. He didn't have his best night at UFC 286. I guess uh, some of this stuff is a little nitpicky, though, but it's exactly the kind of stuff that the Internet will, in fact, make fun of you for Mm -hmm. during one of the walkouts here during UFC 286. uh, Michael Bisping meant to say she had some success 
about a fighter as she was coming down, and he said she had some success. Oh, that'll happen. And so it sounded like he said she had some sex, and then he immediately corrected himself to say she had some success. And then in the other one, uh, when he is out here calling the Jake Hadley-Malcolm Gordon fight, and he says Jake Hadley looks like he's playing drums on uh, Malcolm Gordon's head, the first time he gets his name wrong. He says, I think he says Malcolm Martin. And so then he has to correct himself and say Malcolm X. And then he has to connect himself and say Malcolm Gordon. Now that sounds like a terrible flub if you didn't know better. But let me call your attention to the Wikipedia page where if you look at Malcolm Gordon, you will see his nickname is in fact X. So Michael Bisping is just casually, colloquially referring to Malcolm Gordon by his nickname, Malcolm X. Now, if you didn't know that, it might sound kind of weird, insensitive maybe, but he's just using his nickname, man. And then he says Malcolm Gordon right after it. So I don't really see that that's all that big of a deal, to be honest. And also, maybe the bigger issue there is I don't think you can have Malcolm X as your nickname. I don't think you can do that, honestly. I don't think you can just be like, well, my name is Malcolm. Let's throw an X in there as the nickname. And I I guess as an allusion to this historical figure, that seems like a bad idea to me, man. Well, we've seen an Al Capone, right? Mm -hmm. As uh, Nikita Krilov's original nickname. Wasn't there also a guy whose nickname had something to do with Muhammad Ali back in the day? Are you talking about Cassius Clay Collard? Yes, Cassius Clay Collard. That's I mean, the other one that, that I was kind of. That one is so weird that it's kind of cool. Just <laughs> throw one in there and be like, okay, Malcolm X, Gordon. I, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. So, and well, maybe this, this highlights one of the reasons the exact kind of confusion. Also, not to correct Baba Black Sheep on a fact or anything, but... I also think it was surprising that they did not go with John Gooden on the mic, but John Gooden wouldn't necessarily be there instead of Michael Bisping. John Gooden right. would have probably been there instead of John Anik. Like it was, that's the role he feels is the play-by-play guy. I like John Anik a whole lot. I just thought it would make a lot of sense if you're going over there to England. I mean, I like to to hear John Gooden and his his dulcet British accented tones reminded me, oh yeah, we we're doing this one from England, and I think he's just yeah. good and doesn't get enough work. So that's what it would have been done. It's not like Bisping they went with Bisping over him. And John Anik came out afterwards to defend Michael Bisping because you know Anik is a team player. You know yeah. that about him. And he's got your back. He says, yeah. you know what John Anik is? Stand up guy. Stand up guy. Absolutely. And I. He makes valid points where he's just like, you know, you're on a broadcast for fucking eight uninterrupted hours, basically. You Eventually, you're going to say some stuff where you wish you could have that one back. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, you you do a few hour-long shows a week like we do. It's also going to happen. It's just anytime you're talking into a microphone, that's what's going to happen. And him saying, like, you know, some nights are just going to be better than others. Uh, The... But the other thing was Justin Gaethje going pretty hard on Michael Bisping afterwards, basically accusing him of bias. And I think that that's one where you can almost always see that if you want to see it, if you have it in your head. Uh, And I think there's some UFC commentators who are worse about it than others. I don't necessarily think that Michael Bisping typically is one of those, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Justin Gaethje, by his own admission, is biased himself. Right. 
He's not on the broadcast, of course, but we are asking him questions about it in the post-fight press conference, and he's saying he thought Kamara Usman, who is his teammate, did enough to win the fight, and then he's saying Michael Bisping shouldn't have been on the broadcast. So let's just say butting biases. We're butting heads with our biases, with our perceived biases here between Justin Gaethje and Michael Bisping. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that there's anything to it. I didn't necessarily notice that what I thought was extremely biased commentary during the Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman fight. But, uh, you know, maybe if you had a a rooting interest or a betting interest, maybe you did. I mean, or maybe some of that, as we've heard guys say before, is... Even beyond personal relationships, it's like if you are a guy who came from a background where you were more of a stand-up fighter and people always try to wrestle your ass with the just bane of your damn existence, maybe you are already going to be naturally kind of programmed to be more in favor of the guy who's out there trying to do a stand-up, get his kicking game going and try not to be taken down. Like... That can absolutely happen. The same way Daniel Cormier is going to get super fucking excited if you start chain and takedown together (laughs) and running the pipe. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If you go in on a double and switch to the single, Daniel Cormier, that's you just threw him a softball. He's going to turn on that and knock it out of the park. You turn that into a high crotch. He's going to jump up out his seat, man. (laughs) That's that's the kind of bias that he's going to approach it with. And I feel like as a viewer, you know that they're... The color commentator guys, I think, operate on, according to a little bit of a different standard in that sense uh, than straight-up play-by-play guys. But uh, that's just part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Shoulders, Chest, Pants, Shoes. Well, all right. I'm not... Okay, fine. Now, I'm familiar with Shoulders, Chest, Knees, and Toes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Shoulders, Chest, Pants, Shoes, that's a new one for me. He writes, he or she writes, they write... Quick one for you guys. Did you catch Dana at the post-fight press conference casually mention they are working on Bilal Muhammad versus Shavkat Rachmanov? How do you think that one goes? Now, Ben, here we are. We're back to talking about the welterweight top 15 again. And Shavkat Rachmanov versus Bilal Muhammad, if it indeed happens, would be number four, Bilal Muhammad, against uh, number six, Shavkat Rachmanov. Now, we've already got Gilbert Burns booked in a fight with Jorge Masvidal. Gilbert Burns is number five. Dana White says Kamzat Chamaev, who is number three, is going to fight next at middleweight. And perhaps the strangest thing, and I don't know if we were going to get in this into this in round one, but they're also essentially saying Leon Edwards is going to fight Colby Covington next. Dana White said no matter what happens, Colby Covington is going to fight Leon Edwards for the championship. And I'll be honest, that's a bit of a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. Why you would go ahead and do that when, the, you know, with Kamar Usman now deposed as champion, and you could argue everyone at 170 pounds enjoying some new life, you kind of have a wealth of contenders there. With Covington, Shemaev, Bilal Muhammad, uh, Shavkat, Rachmanov, and maybe some of the other people who are on their way up. I Maybe you feel like they need a little bit more seasoning, and that's why you'd throw Colby Covington out there. But I don't totally understand the decision to just give Colby Covington a blanket, flat-out, blank check, no matter what happens, title shot against Leon Edwards. Yeah, I don't either. And when you heard Dana White's justification for it, it sounded like... At least part of it in his mind was, well, the guy is, has done us a solid here or there. Yeah. Or the guy, he showed up here, he he made weight as the backup. And that you're sort of thanking him for that with a title shot. When 
you know, when you just look at like what the recent record looks like, you know, he had a win a year ago over Jorge Masvidal. Um, and then before that, he had, you know, one of his two losses to Kamaru Usman. And then before that, and it's sandwiched in between them is the rib injury TKO win over Tyron Woodley in, in September of 2020. So he just hasn't been super active and definitely hasn't been super active or like getting wins over like top guys recently. And especially if you're Bilal Muhammad, you got to be a little bit dismayed to be like, I'm really, I've been putting in the work. I've been staying busy. I've been doing my best to promote myself on the social medias and being really accessible to fans and trying to get my name out there and, and keep it out there. And they go, mm, we'd like to have you fight one of the toughest dudes in the division <laughs> in a non-title fight. And meanwhile, Colby Covington, who you know has one win s- since 2021, is just going to hop right in there for the title shot. And you go, wait a minute. Why do I have to fight the tough ass dude? And he like yeah. he already had his time. He he had his title shots. Didn't didn't win either one of them. Uh, and I got to go in there against that boy, good Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, what the yeah. hell's that? That's that's a tough one, man. Especially like you mentioned for Bilal Muhammad, who is he's been putting in the work both in the cage and as you mentioned, just on social media, marketing himself and stuff and stuff like that. So it is a bit of a tough draw for him and one that I assume he doesn't really have a choice, but to take Yeah. Uh, the thing about Colby Covington is that I don't even necessarily see him as like a draw or someone that interesting for Leon Edwards to fight. Will Colby Covington beat Leon Edwards? Maybe Colby Covington has a difficult style to deal with a very kind of suffocating straight ahead boxing game reinforced by his wrestling like that's he's kind of a tough matchup for a lot of different people. If we were going to do the MMA math, we would say he lost to Kamaru Usman, who then lost to Leon Edwards. But as we all know, styles make fights. You can't necessarily do the math like that. But I don't know. I just don't get it. Like, I don't I don't necessarily see what Colby Covington brings to the table, aside from potentially being a darling of the certain political bent that the UFC has decided to aggressively market itself toward. Yeah. Or unless the UFC feels like Colby Covington is stepping up and helping out and therefore like just you want to reward him in that regard, because it seemed like you hear from a lot of people around the division and around the UFC in the wake of them saying, Colby Covington got next, and there's a lot of head scratching going on there. Uh, like a lot of people just being like, "Really?" And I don't know. Maybe you feel like Leon Edwards doesn't sell. He doesn't really go out of his way as a personality. If you bring Colby Covington in there, at least you have somebody who's gonna do that side of the work. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, Shavkat was out there talking about Colby Covington after his win, and that seemed like that one would make a little more sense. And you could totally justify giving Bilal Muhammad the shot in the meantime. I don't know. It's a little surprising to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Next question this week is from Henpecked Hal, who writes, It was always hard to promote yourself in the UFC, and even harder in the Just Some Fights era. These three letters are just more important than you. But shit, man, once upon a time, you would at least get 20 seconds when Mike Goldberg would shut the fuck up and let your walkout get a bit of focus. I like Megan O'Leary, but I don't like these intros, e.g. Casey O'Neill, right before and during the ring walk narrated by John Anik and the boys filling up all the dead air. Tell us who these fighters are for sure, but give them some room to tell us something themselves. Now... I kind of liked it at first when the UFC did this innovation where they would have Megan or Levy and or Brett Akamoto kind of on the scene 
to you know, walk out adjacent, I guess you could say, stand yeah. in there filming like a stand up and you would see the fighter walk by past them essentially. But I also agree that one of the problems with the current UFC broadcast is that sometimes it feels like there is too much talking. And honestly, it kind of seems like it might be the bane of John Anik's existence at times when he is out here it, it, trying to tell us about the fighters, trying to give us a little something about the story, trying to be the consummate professional MMA play-by-play man. And meanwhile, you got Dominic Cruz and Michael Bisping and uh, Daniel Cormier or whoever it happens to be nonstop yucking it up. Yeah. And so I kind of feel henpecked house pain here at times. Yeah, I remember talking to John Anik about this, and he was saying that he felt like the walkout is a really important time to get to tell some of the fighters' story. Because you don't know how much time you're going to get to talk about them once the fight starts. And especially, you know, John Anik does a lot of work preparation-wise to learn about these people and have something to say about them. And that feels like the time when you get to say something is that ring walk time. And the fight itself could be over in 15 seconds and it could be just, you know, uh, so quick that you don't even, you got a note card full of stuff that you don't ever get to use. So I understand them trying to make the most of that time. I don't know if we're calling for them just to like, let the music play and let us soak up the moment of the walkout. I mean, I think that they do a pretty good job of that in the big fight moments and like main event moments when, when it's there. But I feel like it's in their heads that for undercard fights, what you need to do is be really working hard to tell the story, set up some kind of narrative, and that when the spotlight is literally on them and them alone as they're walking to the cage is one of your best opportunities to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, last question this week comes to us from Bob Cobb, who writes, Holly Holm, or as how we like to say here on the podcast, Holly Holmes, is back in action this week. It seems like forever since we've seen her, and she is currently tied for third in the rankings Coming off a loss last May, combing through the sea of names I don't recognize in the top 10, I noticed that hardly any of them have a recent fight. Holmes' opponent, Yana Santos, formerly Kunitskaya, who is ranked 6, is coming off a loss in July 2021. I mean, what in the actual fuck is happening in this formerly marquee division? Are Nunes and Pena just going to have to do it again and again, or does Holmes sneak into another title fight if she wins here? Or are we just at the point where, as Chad says, just shut it down? Now, I hadn't necessarily noticed this until we got this email, but it does kind of feel like the division women's bantamweight that you could previously describe as the number one marquee women's division in the UFC. Hell, used to be the only damn one they had. Uh, It has maybe taken a backseat in some ways to women's flyweight where you've had maybe some more interesting stuff going on around the title picture. Uh, and I haven't heard that much about women's bantamweight recently. Of course, you got to remember that uh, Pena and Nunes just did it for the second time in July of last year. So we're not necessarily that far removed from a title fight. But it does feel like this division has fallen off a little bit in terms of interest or, uh, I guess, just marketing, advertising, how much you hear about it. And it does seem a little bit weird that Holly Holm, a popular fighter, but a person who is, in fact, getting up there in years and hasn't fought all that uh, regularly recently, is just going to roll up in here into a co-main event spot on this Saturday UFC fight night event where your main event is Chito Vera and Corey Sandhagen. Yeah. It's also kind of crazy to realize that she is sitting in the number three spot 
in the UFC's rankings. One or, I mean, I don't know if this is intentional or if this is a typo, but they have her as number three, but they also have Ketlin Vieira, who beat her in, in Holly Holmes' last fight, won a split decision over her, also listed as number three, to which I would have to say, I don't think that's how rankings work. I don't think you can both be number three, especially well, if I guess it, it could be an even tie in terms of the voting. Then you would have two threes and a five, which you do on this list, but that's, that is a little odd. Yeah, I mean, and it's odd that, like, okay, she has a, her last fight. She lost to Ketlin Vieira. Uh, I, Ketlin Vieira then turned around after that one and lost a split decision to Raquel Pennington, uh, who right now is sitting at number two. But then, uh, I don't know, it seems like it would still, the math would work out to put Ketlin Vieira ahead of Holly Holm. If you beat somebody that recently, you ought to take their spot. To say that she's going to turn around, though, and get a win here, which would bring her then her winning streak to one in a row. Uh, and her last win, by the way, was in October of 2020 when she beat Irene Adana. Uh, I don't think that that's what can really get you a title shot, even if there's not a ton of movement. But it is weird how you just don't, it doesn't feel like you even are hearing much about women's bantamweight anymore. And maybe you're right that some of it is you do the same title fight twice in a row and it kind of has a freezing effect on the rest of the division. It's like hits pause on it. But just, I'm going to read off some names to you, Chad. The rankings look like Juliana Pena, then Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira both at three, uh, then Irene Aldana, uh, Yana Santos, Pani Kianzad, Macy Chiasan, Carol Rosa, Myra Buena Silva, Misha Tate, Julia Avila, uh, Norma Dumont, uh, Josiane Nunez, and Chelsea Chandler. I mean, you just don't hear a lot of names there where you feel like, okay, yeah, we're very excited about this surging contender. It just feels yeah. like not a lot has been going on. Yeah, I have heard a lot of good stuff about Misha Tate. She's an up-and-coming young kid that could make some noise <laughs> in this division. All right, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. Uh, if you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Ben, you had an amazing back and forth fight from the two best welterweights in the world atop the UFC 286 card over there in London, England on Saturday. It was a good fight, a close fight. I think you saw scorecards all over the place online. 
Leon Edwards gets deducted a point in the third round, but he nonetheless emerges with the majority decision win and moves on as the UFC welterweight champion. Now, like I said at the top of the show, we'll talk about the fouls and perhaps the politics of the fouls in a minute. But what did you think of these performances by these guys, these game plans and the action that you saw in the cage? Honestly, I was impressed with Leon Edwards, and, and yeah. especially, I don't know how much of it is that he just continues to get better as a fighter, or they get better at coming up with game plans, especially the more you see Kamaru Usman, because if we've talked about before, it's always a weird thing when you get into a, a trilogy situation, where especially one of them was already a five-round title fight, uh, in which you went almost a full five rounds, because you get to a point where you guys have spent like an hour together in the cage. Uh, you know, you've seen an awful lot of each other, both in terms of planning to fight and then actually fighting, and you know each other pretty well. And it's always a question of do you try to throw some new wrinkles in the game plan and try to change things up for the third one, or do you try to dance with who brung you? And just yeah. get better at the things that you were doing. I was impressed with Leon Edwards's ability to just seize a little more of the initiative in this fight than he did in the second one. And also, a tricky thing for him is going in a matchup like this. You would think is going to be how do you establish your kicking game that which he likes to do, especially as a, a way to maintain range and distance when you're also worried about getting taken down. And here, I think what you saw was that he worried less about getting taken down. And when he was taken down, he would get back up. And, you know, at times, perhaps ill-advised, would think about takedowns of his own. Uh, yeah. And But he just seemed like he had made some improvements, both in like his physical abilities there, but also in how he let the threat of Kamaru Usman's uh, wrestling affect his game plan. Yeah, I thought he was impressive from the start. And if you were wondering how he was going to implement his kicks, it turns out he's just going to blast Kamara Usman super hard in the leg immediately and then continue to unload with those low kicks and body kicks. Also and kicking knees. in the balls a little bit. A little yeah, bit. Well, it's a little bit. Just a, a little few bit. few times, yeah. Uh, he seemed to stun Kamara Usman with a body kick with some knees. I was impressed with the way he was kind of pivoting out of takedown defenses. He was switching stances. He was really on his bike, just continuing to move in in this fight it seemed like honestly like they cracked the case a little bit like he and the team kind of figured out the blueprint the game plan solved the mystery of kamara usman and had just a a really good strategy lined out and then leon edwards just went out there and executed it and i thought it was an all-around great performance by him uh and when i watched the fight i know it was really close and if you had kamara usman i'm not going to argue with you especially the last three rounds probably could have gone either way. But when I watch the thing, I have a hard time finding three rounds for Kamaru Usman to be perfectly honest. You could, I could, I could go with a, you know, with a 49, 46 here or something without the point deduction, but nonetheless, Leon Edwards does win. He moves on. Let's talk about the fouls because he is out there. Uh, it lighten up the bingo card. Let's say fence grabs. Grub glove grabs, low blows. There might have been an eye poke in there somewhere. I don't know. Right, but, just fish hook the guy for good measure, why don't you? And I mean, the, the fence grab was egregious, and we can talk about that in terms of how it helped him, because I think it did. Uh, 
but the low blows were unintentional. Like yeah. that just stuff, that stuff happens, especially when you're firing so many low kicks and inside low kicks and, and things like that. But it did seem like a bit of a, like there was some Dundasso around the edges of this victory, especially when it came to defending the takedowns, which worked out for him, man. I, we're out here saying if you take a point, you don't put them on the ground was the reasoning during the uh, during the actual fight. And if that's the way you're going to do it, hell yeah, grab the damn fence, man. Because if you don't lose the position, it's probably still better for you in that round if you are Leon Edwards in this equation. Yeah, although I got to say, especially in a fight that you go into thinking, like, this is probably going to be a close one. And especially if you can't land the one big head kick to knock him out and you go to the scorecards, you know you're probably looking at a close a close shave one way or another. And to lose a point in a fight like that has to be a little scary. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not quite as scary as it is to lose a point in basically any three round fight. Then you're almost doomed if you're not absolutely just killing the guy to begin with. And if you were, you probably would need to grab the fence and, and cost yourself a point in the first place. Five rounds at least gives you a little more time to make your, your case so that one point doesn't necessarily swing everything. But you you got to think that they were a little worried at that point, when you lose a point in a fight where it might come down to just how the judges see it and what they decide to reward, you really don't make things any easy on yourself by losing a point there. Um, but at the same time, you feel like, look, we got, we need to do our stuff. And if sometimes yeah. that stuff blurs the lines between legal and illegal, whether it's grabbing the fence or accidentally kicking them in the balls when I mean to be kicking them in the legs of the body, damn it, that's a risk we're willing to run. And it, and it paid off for him here. Yeah, I don't think Kamara Usman really had any meaningful takedowns in this fight. He had a couple takedowns that scored, quote unquote, in the the eyes of the broadcast team, but he he was never really able to take Leon Edwards down in a way that that seemed meaningful to me. He was not able to keep him there for any amount of time. I think there was one takedown in the third round, which is one of the ones you could score either way. It might have been Kamaru Usman's best all-around round, where he landed some hard shots to the face as Leon Edwards was getting up. But that was kind of it. Leon Edwards really, in many ways, shut down the meaningful wrestling takedown game from Kamaru Usman, and that was really important in this fight. Yeah. Uh, We talked last week about this being an important fight, I think for both guys, but especially for Leon Edwards, because you beat Kamaru Usman by Hail Mary head kick in the last fight, in a fight that it looked like you were on your way to losing on the cards. You kind of pull this head kick out of your back pocket at the last minute and you end up winning, becoming the champion. But if you went out and lost this one, especially if you lost it in a Kamaru Usman fight where he let you, you let him take you down and keep you where he wanted you to be for 25 minutes. I think that would have been bad, not only for Leon Edwards in in terms of losing the title, but like bad for how we would remember him. I brought up the name Matt Sarah last yeah. week on the the Power Hour, and whether or not that was a fair comparison or not, you don't want to be the guy who is viewed as this transitional champion or a guy who had a cup of coffee with the belt and then Kamaru Usman comes back and reclaims it from you. How important to you do you think this win for Leon Edwards was in terms of both how we think of him and maybe for his legacy once it's all said and done? It's huge. It's yeah. huge, especially to to now own the trilogy between him and Kamara Usman, who 
we thought of as, uh, you know, for a while, they're a pretty dominant welterweight champion. Been the champion for like three years. And then to go in there, you're losing the, the second fight. You, you get the head kick knockout and people go, well, okay, that's a nice moment for you. But yeah. you know, we're going to make you make the prove it shot, basically. We're going to put you right back in the situation. You're going to show up as an underdog. Odds makers looking at you like you would have lost if you hadn't won. And then to go in there and get it done over the course of a full fight, like not one shot, but just to, to beat the guy uh, on the scorecards over the course of the fight, even with the point deduction, that really does, I think, make us look at Leon Edwards differently. Like we, even though, you know, it's and still, I think we still come out of that going, okay, now he feels like the champ, though, in yeah. a way that he yeah. didn't necessarily before. Yeah, coming in at more than a plus two hundred underdog heading into this fight was actually, was, which is actually a pretty uh, impressive feat to actually win this fight with those kind of odds. And as you said, Kamara Usman was a great champion, and we can't take that away from Kamara Usman, but we should also not underestimate how much it means for Leon Edwards to be the guy that perhaps, at least for now, ends that reign and goes two and one in a three fight series against this great champion. But I do want to ask you. What you see now for Kamaru Usman, who is 34 years old. We talked about the hand injury coming into this fight. We talked about the knees coming into this fight. This is a guy who has flirted with the idea of retirement, said during fight week he doesn't want to be doing this 10 years from now, doesn't want to be getting punched in the head. What is the immediate and long-term future for this guy who was the champion for so long? Yeah, I mean, he's he's 35, actually. Uh, will be 36 I believe in in uh, May, so it does seem, in retrospect, like we're now going to turn around and look at him until he gives us some evidence to the contrary, and we go, well, okay, what we're looking at now is the downslope of Kamar Usman's career. I mean, there's still like absolutely a possibility that he could take a little time, come back, beat somebody who's at least in the contender conversation, prove that he's still in it, and then the next thing we know, we go, all right, maybe the the book isn't entirely closed on Kamaru Usman, but especially it does feel like after this fight, we go, maybe the best years have already happened. And and maybe that's okay because your best years were, were pretty damn good. You know, for a while there, you were really just taking care of everybody. So uh, I don't think that that necessarily would be the worst thing. It'll be interesting to see how the UFC decides to matchmake him though. If they go ahead and they put him up against somebody who is a top contender knocking on the door of a title shot and you know are we going to put him in a situation where somebody could get a title shot off of beating him but then that means he could also get back in the title conversation by beating them or are we going to put him in what would be you know some fun fight territory that i think the the next matchmaking decision they make i think will tell us a lot of at least where the ufc thinks kamar usman is yeah all right uh let's go ahead we'll do are you fucking kidding me and then we'll move on to round number two ben what's your are you fucking kidding me this week well, Chad, we mentioned that Colby Covington was over there making weight as the backup. You know, he's uh, going to get the next title shot, we're told, uh, even though everybody else seems kind of dismayed to hear it. <laughs> and then talking to the media, he's going to go off about Hamza Chemaev, Chad. Hmm. Here's the quote. 
Uh, I was referring to that dog-faced motherfucker Hamzat. <laughs> he talks all this shit, dude. He says all these things about me in the media. Yeah, of course they're going to say things in the media. They don't say things to my face or in the octagon. He's been saying, oh, I want to fight for the title at 170. I want to fight Colby, this and that. Dude, the guy quit to the common cold. He means COVID, the pandemic that has killed millions of people worldwide. The guy quit on a weight cut when he had the best professionals that the UFC Performance Institute can offer. Millions of dollars put in this guy in the marketing, and this guy had the easiest fight in the division, the soy boy, Nate Diaz, and he still couldn't make weight. He missed weight by nine pounds, and he's laughing it off like this is a fucking joke. He's a fucking joke. The guy sucks at fighting. He's unprofessional, and I don't ever want to hear that guy's name again. You guys hype him up to be this giant. The guy couldn't hold my jock strap. So I guess, Chad, one thing I'm just saying, are you fucking kidding me? Colby Covington is just going to stay with this same shit. Still going to be out here referring to COVID as the common cold. Out here with some 90s movie bully lines like the guy couldn't hold my jock strap. But also, of all people, to be to say stuff like, he talks all this shit, uh, these guys say all this shit in the media, they don't say things to my face or in the octagon. Dude, you have been ran up on by multiple people you have talked shit about Kind of famously, you have been run up on in real life by those dudes. And every time it happens, your reaction seems like, oh, come on. It was just business, guys. Like, people do come up and say it to your face, man. They can't wait to say it to your face. They say it to your face when you're in line at the buffet trying to get some crab legs. They say it to your face when you're coming out the steakhouse. And they run up on you and punch you in the face. And you're complaining about damage to your luxury timepiece. You of all people should know they do not have a problem saying shit to your face. Colby Covington they love to do it are you fucking kidding me yeah I still think Colby Covington missed the golden opportunity to just come out in a Bernie Sanders t-shirt and be like (laughs) found out about a new thing you guys and I let me tell you it's it's it changed my life and just to go full hard left that that, that would have been brilliant I would hate how easily he could win me over that way by just being like, you know what? I did a little looking into it. I, I read some some threads on Reddit, and it feels like the wealthy elite want yeah. uh, you know rugged individualistic capitalism uh, for you, but for them, they actually want a lot of government handouts and socialism, and I just don't think it's fair. Yeah, you know, have you guys I, heard about the wealth disparity yeah. in the United States? It's, I got some numbers that'll blow your mind. Hold on. Let me get them here out of my uh, out of my messenger bag. Uh, <laughs> my vegan leather messenger bag. Ben, you know, I've said this before. I I just like I don't want to be a fan of bare knuckle boxing. Man, I don't I don't kind of don't get it. I kind of just like even as an MMA fan, I find it to be somewhat ugly. You and I went up there to Great Falls, Montana, and watched a BKFC event. It was fine, but a lot of times you can't even tell what's happening until someone backs away and their eyebrow is split open or some shit. But BKFC has me out here like Michael Corleone in Godfather 3. They keep pulling me back in. Ben, this week they announced that Big Ben Rothwell, who you and I talked about, could be pretty good. Could be pretty good in the bare knuckle fighting. They are going to take him and match him up with the dude who is completely covered in tattoos. Mm -hmm. Josh Watson, who most recently knocked out Greg Hardy at BKFC. Now Ben Rothwell and Josh Watson are going to fight on April 29th. And they keep pulling me back in. Ben, are you fucking kidding me? I am interested in this. Oh, I hate it, but I am interested in this. 
I love watching you become a BKFC fan against your will. You know what else is on the card? And this will tell you a little something about BKFC's marketing strategy. Luke Rockhold makes his bare-knuckle debut against Mike Perry, while Eddie Alvarez clashes with Chad Mendez. That's your BKFC card in April. Do you see a, a pattern? Can, does, I mean, can you does it elucidate anything to you about uh, about what we're doing here with with the uh, BKFC matchmaking? Kind of feels a little wood watchish, to be honest with you. <laughs> kind of getting a little uh, wood watch feeling going on right now. I hate it so much. Are you fucking kidding me? Ah, that's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, Justin Gaethje ain't done yet, it seems. He goes out there in a fight against Rafael Fazeev here in the co-main event, one in which he enters as a kind of sizable underdog. It looks almost as if the UFC is positioning Rafael Fazeev to get a win over a guy with a lot of shine on his name and sort of use that to propel him to the next level. And then Justin Gaethje shows up here and says, not so fast, my man. Yeah, puts a, puts a little bit of a hurting on Rafael Fazeev as this one, especially later on. I mean, I'm sitting there in the third round listening to some of these uppercuts land, and it sounds like somebody is smashing open a watermelon. It's yeah. just terrible, the the, the yeah. sound of the punches that he is landing. I'm amazed Rafael Fazeev made it to the end of this fight, honestly, and he, he looked pretty messed up by the time he did make it to the end. But the lesson there is basically like... Justin Gaethje, I think in this one showed especially he can do more than just go out there and brawl. He yeah. he actually seemed like he had a, a little bit of the Rafael Fazeev's game dialed in, like they had actually done some some real study and preparation for him. Uh, and he surprised me here. He he impressed me and surprised me. Yeah, this fight was like there's one kid in your high school who knows karate, <laughs> and then there's another kid whose dad works at the mill. And everybody's like, yeah, man, these they're definitely the toughest sophomores in the high school. They don't really have beef, but they're still going to meet out in the parking lot. They're still going to meet out by the bike racks and find out what's what. And we forget sometimes that Justin Gaethje is a skilled fighter, right? Like you can't advance to the position that he held first in World Series of Fighting and later in the UFC without being incredibly good and an incredibly skilled fighter. And you are reminded of that when he goes out there against a guy who is as technically sound, as fast, and as dangerous as Rafael Fazeev. Because I'll tell you what, Justin Gaethje wins this fight with his jab and uppercuts in the third round. And that's kind of that should be a stark reminder to you that not only does Justin Gaethje have a chin of granite, to withstand some of the early onslaught stuff from Raphael Fazeev. But when he has to do it, he's going to go out there and uh, he's going to throw jabs and uppercuts and use a game plan and pick you apart piece by piece. And he's got the low kicks, which he doesn't employ all that often anymore, but they can be devastating. And he's also got a good wrestling game. And that makes you a skilled and well-rounded MMA fighter on top of being maybe the funnest guy to watch in the funnest division right now. Yeah, and you're right, because especially... The first round of this fight, I was like, mm, there seems to be a, 
a speed disparity here. Yeah. Uh, but Justin Gaethje is just going to stay there, stay in your face, make you keep working, and going to chop away at you where he can. And the next thing you know, the speed disparity kind of gradually disappears. You say something like, we forget sometimes that Justin Gaethje is actually a skilled fighter and stuff. I wonder sometimes if Justin Gaethje encouraged us to forget by getting a little too rock'em sock'em at times. And we've seen it before yeah. where it gets in a guy's head where it's, it's the thing people love about you. It's one of the things that you feel like you're getting rewarded for bonus-wise and in terms of the opportunities you're given. And so you kind of play into it and you can do that too much and do it to your detriment. And this seems like one where he realized, like, okay, against this guy, you're going to have to be a little smarter and a little more technical and you're going to have to wear him down and, and beat him all, like over the stretch of the fight rather than just brawling you're putting your head down going in there nailing him with one big shot uh but he did it and i especially to be able to sort of uh, have people looking at you like you're on a skid and to plant your heels there and be like nope i'm gonna show you guys against a real like a tough rising contender that i'm still a legit dude in this division uh that's a, a major statement win for justin gaethje i think yeah, and if he took that path to be a little bit more exciting than to be technical, I don't necessarily know that you can blame him for it. It's possible that he will incur some physical uh, receipts from that later in his life, but it's certainly been good for the pocketbook. He's won nine post-fight bonuses at this point, including, I believe, his UFC debut where he showed up and won two in one night, so that ain't too bad. And it has also been extremely good for his profile in this division which is as we say the maybe the most competitive division in all of mma and the hardest they talked about it during this fight that the top fighters in this division have kind of had that position on lockdown and they just all fight each other and it takes a guy like rafael Fazeev to jump up and get a win over justin gaethje to enter the conversation as one of the elites in this division and in this one he just happened to fall a little short but justin gaethje was one and two in his last three fights with losses to champions charles Oliveira and habib Nurmagomedov. but for him to still be up there in cobain event territory fighting Raphael Fazeev on a pay-per-view is probably a compliment to the previous work that he's done establishing his reputation as this fun guy to watch. And, you know, I think that's to his credit, even if it's maybe not the most, uh, not the safest way to fight, certainly not the, not a way to fight that could be good for your future health, but, uh, it is certainly, it has certainly got, got him to an admirable position in the UFC thus far. We got this email from Dan Alexander, a longtime emailer who the last time he sent us an email implored us to put some respect on his name. So I will say that Dan, we see you. We know who you are. Longtime good emailer to the co-main event podcast. He sent us this one about Justin Gaethje this week, where he says, Justin Gaethje did some Justin Gaethje type shit to Raphael Fazeev. Kind of reminded me of the time when a cocky young upstart by the name of Alexander Hernandez took on Cowboy Cerrone and was subsequent, subsequently taught a painful lesson. Please discourse. Now, one of the things that this made me think, and I was thinking about it during the fight, is Justin Gaethje headed for Cowboy Cerrone territory in the UFC? And in fact, has he already gotten there where you, you might not be the champion, you might not get the opportunity to be the champion, but you almost don't need to be the champion because we already know who you are and you have whittled out this position for yourself in the UFC where we will watch your fight kind of regardless of the stakes. Is he, is he headed there or is he already there? I think he's already there. 
uh, just because we know that Justin Gaethje is going to give you a certain kind of fight, right? Like, it's it's a good time, one way or another. But I think that the a lot of guys get into that where it's sort of an internal struggle of like, do you want to be the good time highlight reel guy, or do you want to be the guy who wins them all and puts together a good streak and actually. You know, makes a run at the title. Justin Gaethje's comments afterwards suggest that he wants to be the guy who makes a run at the title, and he wants to. Yeah. He thinks that he has one more left in him. Uh, and I don't know. You know, similarly as we talked about with welterweight, where when there's a new champion around, it opens some doors back up for people that might have seen previously closed. And if you were going to tell me, you know, we get ourselves into a situation where uh, we're talking about potentially Islam Mahachev versus Justin Gaethje, I mean, shit, I would watch that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We all would watch that. Uh, Raphael Fazeev has been an interesting and kind of unique UFC prospect the whole time. He got into the game a little bit later than some. He's 30 years old at this point. Lost his UFC debut, but in the wake had uh, cracked off a series of six wins in a row and had been kind of climbing the ladder. By the way, Raphael Fazeev has won a post-fight bonus, either performance of the night or fight of the night now in his last six consecutive fights. So not too shabby there from Fazeev as well in terms of bringing the action. But he had been kind of working his way up the ranks here, beating Hanato Moicano, Bobby Green, Brad Riddell, and then most recently, Rafael Dos Anjos to get himself into this Justin Gaethje fight. Now, obviously, he suffers a little bit of a setback here, having that win streak snapped and suffering the majority decision loss to Justin Gaethje. But he's still he's still very much a live prospect in this division. He is also a guy that I think we will watch almost regardless of the stakes. But what do you see him where, you know, what's next for him? Does he lose a lot from this, from this loss or does he immediately jump back in and fight a, another, you know, mid range top contender and immediately get back to this position where he's on the doorstep of breaking into the elite. It's a setback, you know, uh, especially when you come in as a pretty heavy favorite and it looks like, it's you're being positioned to really up your profile on the back of someone who uh, fans already know and have a lot of respect for and really like. And then you go in there and you lose the fight and your face looks like a soccer ball left out in the rain at the end of it. That That's not great. You know, as better to have won that fight than to lost to have lost it. Um, yeah. But again, I don't think that it necessarily means Rafael Fazeev has reached the highest heights he will, he's ever capable of that. I think that we still the, the the door isn't shut on where he might go at all at this point. And and you know, maybe you learn some stuff out of that one and and you you take some helpful stuff away from it. Yeah. Um all right, that's going to do it for round number 2. We'll be right back with round number 3. Well, Ben, the UFC stays ready, so it doesn't have to get ready. This weekend, the UFC on ESPN coming to you live from the AT&T Center down there in San Antonio, Texas, headlined by Marlon Chito Vera against Corey Sandhagen in a an interesting and important bantamweight fight. Just a four-fight main card on the docket at this point for this one. Holly Holm versus Yana Santos. 
uh, in the co-main, Andrea Lee versus Macy Barber and Chidi Njikawani against Albert Duraev in the curtain jerker there. So only four fights, but each of them, I think, interesting in its own right. Obviously, we will start with the main event where I feel like Chito Vera is an extremely interesting championship prospect at this point, having run off four fights in a row since his unanimous decision loss uh, to Jose Aldo back in December of 2020. And a guy who is fun to watch, is a little bit mean-spirited out there, and is sort of a person where I think we're still trying to get a gauge on how good he is and how high he might fly. And if you want to know the answer, it's not a bad idea, I suppose, to send him out there against Corey Sandhagen. Yeah, Uh, and it is stylistically, it seems like it ought to be a fun fight, and it ought to be one that tells you something one way or another about both guys. Also sort of reminds you that bantamweight is in the same kind of conversation with featherweight and lightweight in which, especially once you break into like beyond a certain threshold, like the top 10 or whatever, there just aren't any easy fights to be found, man. Everybody there is tough and you're going to you're going to end up in a battle one way or another. Not only is this fight important, but I think it stands to be fun as hell. Also, if uh, we wind up Chito Vera and send him out there against Corey Sandhagen, they, for all expectations, will probably have a very rock'em sock'em type of fight, as we just talked about with uh, Justin Gaethje and Raphael Fazeev. I'm not sure what the betting odds look like. Let me see if I can get that in front of me. It looks like Marlon Vera is a plus 150 underdog and Corey Sandhagen is a minus 175 favorite. But I don't know that you can necessarily ever really count out Cheeto Vera. He seems to find a way to win, if you will excuse the sports cliche. And a a guy who has been very hard to turn away from championship consideration at this point. Yeah, and I think that... When you're looking at uh, especially where what the narrative we had in our heads was about Cheeto Vera not too long ago, and then to see where he got to now. Because remember, that one where he fought Sean O'Malley, we were looking mm-hmm. at that one as if like, okay, showcase fight for Sean O'Malley. And yeah. then we also were looking at like, okay, he got lucky because Sean O'Malley uh, hurts himself basically. Uh, but then after that, you know, he loses that decision to Jose Aldo and then reels off four in a row against some good people and looks good doing it. Uh, and we go, all right, like we did not respect that dude's abilities fully uh, early on enough. And he, he's showing that to you now. You're right also that uh, the the edge of mean-spiritedness <laughs> is is kind of delightful from him. Yeah, you know? It's always fun, right? It's always It's always fun to have somebody who didn't come to make friends didn't come to professional fighting to make friends they came for the uh for the money and the accolades and the respect that's always that's always good to have as you know one of my main gripes is when everybody's too motherfucking friendly yeah you don't like that yeah and so you're never going to get that once you got the cheeto veras of the world around Corey sandhagen also an interesting guy obviously uh one of the perennially top fighters in this division lost two in a row during 2021 to tj dillashaw and peter yawn but then bounced back in September of last year with a bit of y'all must have forgot kind of fight with the apologies to Ariel Helwani for the gimmick infringement when he beat Song Yedong in the fourth round TKO. And this seems like it would be an important fight for him too, because if you can go ahead and dispatch 
a guy on a win streak like Marlon Vera, well, then we got to take another look at you a couple months shy of your 31st birthday here as a guy who could still make noise in this division despite those two losses. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, especially when you end up here like in a main event opportunity, you go out there and pull off another one of those highlight real finishes. We're all going to be like, okay. Okay, we see you. You're back in the conversation. He's a fun guy to have in that conversation. But it is also just like, it's it's a tough fight for a lot of reasons. It's a tough draw for him. Uh, and it. I wonder sometimes, I love when we have these divisions that are so talent rich and that you can kind of just take two guys from the top 10, put them together and you have yourself a fight night main event quality matchup right there. But then I also wonder sometimes is then... Even if you win a bunch of those and you find yourself climbing up the ranks in a position to maybe earn a title shot, have you have you blunted the tools just through a whole bunch of tough-ass fights just to get there? Is that the downside of having divisions like these? I mean, I guess it's a, a gauntlet to get there, I yeah. suppose. But we as fans aren't complaining about it. We are selfish like that. And so uh, I will take it. I will take a, a string of fun-ass fights anytime yeah. I can get it because it doesn't always happen, and it's nice to have those around. The, it's interesting that the UFC has a couple of road trips here booked for these UFC on ESPN events. Like I said at the top, this one is in San Antonio, and then a couple of uh, weeks from now, or I guess about a month from now, when Max Holloway fights Arnold Allen, that will be in Kansas City. They've been staying home at the Apex for most of this stuff. And again, we also have some fight night events that are going to be back at the apex mixed in here, but maybe a little bit of a willingness to get back out on the road, or maybe there's just a couple of steakhouses that Dana White (laughs) likes in San Antonio and Kansas city. I don't know. Well, he said in in some of his remarks to the media this week at UFC 286, Dana White was saying that the, the apex had been getting too cozy and that they need to get back out there on the road, which I'm glad to see them come back, come around to that because I understand why they they feel like it's easy and profitable to run these shows at the Apex, but it's it's not the same vibe, man, when you just have like a small room with almost nobody in it, and sometimes you get these big moments that would be really awesome if you had a crowd lending that sort of energy to it, and you just don't have that when there's like 30 people in the room or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and his closest friends. Like you you <laughs> sacrifice something that way, so I'm glad to see him get back out there. Yeah, no, I agree. You know what they're also doing here? You got this fight night, it's Corey Sanhagen versus Marlon Vera. Then you got a week off next weekend for April Fool's Day. And the week after that, we are rolling out UFC 287, where Alex Pereira is going to put the title on the line again in a rematch against Israel Adesanya. And you also have Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal. This one, of course, going down down there in Miami-Dade, Florida the backyard of Jorge Masvidal. But this just seems like an avalanche of pay-per-views, man. We were just talking about how many they had put on right in a row. UFC 284, UFC 285, UFC 286. Well, I guess at least you got the first of the month for payday. But then the next week, you got another $80 pay-per-view. This one at least with the uh, middleweight title rematch that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in. Yeah, that is one that I think gets your attention, especially after seeing the last fight. So I hope everyone is handling their budgets appropriately <laughs> in order to uh, to take this in. We talked a bit about the women's bantamweight co-main event here, Holly Holm against Yana Santos, Ni Kunitskaya. If anything, man, this should tell you just something about the staying power 
the marketability, the popularity of Holly Holm, who eternally is kind of like a sneaky popular fighter. She's got a lot of social media outreach. She, 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 she seems to have a very dedicated fan base, or at least she did at one time. And again, seems to be a little bit one of these fighters like maybe Uriah Faber used to be, where you're constantly showing up in important fights and it always feels perennially like you are a win or two away from yet another title shot. Yeah, um, but then also remember what happened is Uriah Faber stuck around a while doing that, and the UFC put him into some tough ass fights to be like, oh yeah, you still want to, you think you still command big money, still want to be here doing it well into your forties, uh, and that doesn't typically end super well for anybody. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and get into just saying stuff, and then we will get out of here. For this week, Ben, this UFC 286 weekend was also uh, notable because we went ahead and announced the latest induction to the UFC Hall of Fame. And this time around, it is the spider Anderson Silva, to which I this week am just saying, well, duh. Yeah, you better put Anderson Silva in the hall. Should have put him in the hall the day after he walked out the door. But uh, I guess we had to go let him have some fights with Jake Paul and whatnot, and now we're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. This is stone-cold lead pipe lock. You cannot argue against Anderson Silva going in the UFC Hall of Fame, and anyone who tries, I will kick them in the shin, right there in the shin, just saying. Just one shin? Just toe right on shin? Both shins, depending on how many times they try to speak some nonsense. Um, I was interested to hear Dana White talking about how they wanted to have Anderson come out for this event so they could be there and they announced he's going in the hall of fame, but he couldn't make it, you know? And I was have I wondered a little bit, you remember Anderson has had some stuff to say about Dana White having, after having exited the UFC. Uh, Everybody so, does. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's odd how reasonable everyone gets as soon as they're outside the umbrella of the UFC. I remember talking to Anderson Silva myself for an interview where he was saying, we all know how Dana White is. He's not a good person. He doesn't respect the <laughs> fighters. And, just, and he just said it as if it was a statement of fact. Um, yeah. Well, so. maybe too busy couldn't show up means he's laying on his couch in his Spider-Man robe uh, with his feet propped up on the ottoman watching the pay-per-view at home. Mm-hmm. Well, Chad, my just saying this week, we, you know, we couldn't get out of here. Uh, Without talking a little bit about, uh, did you see your boy Muhammad Mokaev's knee? Did you see him end no. up in that knee bar? Yeah, how could you miss it? A little bit. And, you know, a lot of people are going to go out there. They're going to talk about you. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna question your decision a little bit uh, when y- you... Getting that that knee bar, we can all see your leg bending a direction that we don't think, frankly, it's made to go. Uh, but you refuse to tap because, damn it, you came here to win this goddamn motherfucking fight. And you know that you, you might be involved in a couple people's sprinkles in terms of betting parlays. Because <laughs> you come in, as he typically does, is one of the f- biggest favorites on the card. And, you know, he, he refuses to tap to that one uh, and then does, in fact, get the win shortly thereafter. And then... I don't know if you've seen this picture floating around where he, it's a picture taken straight down from his vantage point of his two legs. And you can see that one of these things is not like the other. One of these knees is like twice the size of the other. I guess I'm just saying we must respect the fortitude 
but also that shit comes at a cost, bro. Yes, it does. You're out there on the prelims. Uh, everybody's expecting you to win. You know you don't want to tap. Uh, you're not giving up, but uh, you know what? I, if, if that's the exchange you're willing to make, I'll read to you this tweet from Mohamed Mokaev. Seen some tweets saying, you didn't tap, but you might risk to end your career. I'd rather end my career without being quitter. I'm in crazy wow. pain right now, but if I would <laughs> tap, it would hurt my heart even more. I'm just oh, saying, no. let's go, Mokaev. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow, that's intense. That's an mm-hmm. intense tweet. Uh, you know what the Pioneer Era fan in me will never argue with? A neck crank submission victory. <laughs> Shades of Dan Severn out here just pulling on guys' heads. I love it. I will never get tired of it. Even if it comes at the expense of being able to walk normally, maybe for the rest of your life. It's, you know, it's just a, it's a bargain we all make. Yep. All right. That's going to do it this week for the co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. A reminder, we are over on the Patreon page all week. You can find us over there. Patreon.com slash co-main event. You should get in on that. Just $1 a month gets you in the door for the live chat. And of course, We got stuff happening almost every day over there. We think you'll like it. Patreon.com slash co-main event. If you also want to scoop up some dope CME merchandise, you can head over to our new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt and the old school cowboy astronaut cigarette shirt. You can also find cool new stuff like brand new Are You Fucking Kidding Me t-shirts, not to mention went out to a concert the other night with Ben Folks. He showed up wearing his Are You Fucking Kidding Me t-shirt. He looked great in it. You know, I he did. was out there cutting a cool profile. Go to our website, comainevent.com. Click the link at the top of the page that says shop. That'll allow you to peruse our wares. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you this week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know what? I would like to think that you might have tapped. But despite the fact that you are in crazy pain, tapping would hurt your, your heart even more. That's just how I think of you. That's my perception of you as a man and a human being. You know what, um, if you make me choose between a hurt to my heart and a hurt to my knee, especially at this point in life where any hurt to my knee is likely to be permanent, I don't know, I feel like I might, the heart's been, been already been through it, it's, there's barely anything left there to hurt at this point, let's save the knees though, I'm gonna need those. Well, you know what my personal philosophy is, I'm tapping, Yeah, I'm tapping. I'm tapping before you just get a hold of my leg. I'm tapping. You get down in on a leg, tap, 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 tap. You, you don't have to be coming to the post-fight press conference on me being like he tapped in the first round and nobody saw it. No, everyone's going to see it because I'm going to be tapping and I'm going to be yelling tap, tap, tap. Everyone's going to know. Everyone is going to know. <laughs>